welcome to the Business Banter and Bourbon Podcast with your hosts Ben and Tom. Yeah, that that's awesome. Uh, this is this is definitely something we need to talk about because I think I think the narrative of the week was, um, despite the better than expected CPI, we continue to see the trading down effect going on where consumers are trading to cheaper options, cheaper alternatives where they can go shopping. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and we have a tale of two cities between target and, and, and Walmart and the earnings going on there. And I think it, it spells, spells trouble, especially when the fact that it looks like it's all debt financed. Um, you know, I think we got to unpack those, those household debt numbers were just, were just eye popping, but yeah, I don't know. Will we start with start with maybe some of this some of this uh, little, yeah, I think little honey. I think little you'll honey. have to you'll have to talk lead us off with a little bit of okay. A little bit of conversation okay. around this, this this is like drinking nectar. Yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I've, so, I'm in a beehive or something. A, I mean, this is like <laughs> Well, you know, but the thing is, this is not as sickly sweet as the Knob Creek. I don't think the uh, the maple. It this, this one you can put on ice, and it's yeah. you know it's very pleasant. It would be good as a hot toddy if you had a little cold and you wanted to heat it up and drink well, yeah, it before that, bedtime. Yeah. It'd be a really good one. Yeah. But then I'm wondering. Um, so this this is infused with honey. Now, when do they add the honey in? <laughs> I, you know, they can't put it in before distilling, right? Because wouldn't it burn off all the sugars and the honey? And I, I would think so, yeah. So there's some stage there where they're adding in these the actual honey. I mean, it's real honey. Um, well, it, isn't infused and, um, and fused, aren't those two technical terms? Like, because um, flavored olive oil, for example... It can be fused or infused, like if you have, uh, you know, have like a um, a dark fruit flavored olive oil, you know, like a fig olive oil. I don't know if you've ever had that before. No, I've not. Yeah, really. Yeah, they make like specialty Ooh. specialty olive oils, and, Ooh, and they're they're, they're actually so sweet. Um, like some of the balsamic vinegars, you can pour them on ice cream. Um, but I think there is ruin the olive oil. I mean, that that'd be, <laughs> that's like be worth. It'd be worth. Uh, quick, quick look up here. Um, f- fused versus infused. Yeah, olive oils. Um, what's the difference between fused and infused? I don't know. Fused means the fusion of flavors created when olive oil is crushed along with the fruit. So like oh, lemons, right. blood oranges, those types of things. Okay. Infused means the flavor is infused into the oil after Afterwards. the oil's been extracted. Okay. So there you go. That's olivefreshoils.com. So uh, this is probably this is this says infused. So this is this is infused. So they're they're putting it in after the distilling it, process after. and right before they probably put it yeah. in the barrels, I would imagine. Yeah, and right? I, I I'd think that um yeah. That's that's probably what the 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 maple bourbon that we had last time. That's probably how they they did it. And exactly yeah. the same yeah. process. They're infused rather than fused. I don't know how you how you would do fused with maple. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you crush it. Just, just put the maple right yeah, in just with, right, the, just with the corn. Put, put, put the bark in there till the sap starts <laughs> bleeding out right into the whiskey, and then you drink that. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. I mean, well, just so the people at home and here in our yeah. studio audience. <laughs> Uh, there's no studio. There's no studio. No studio oh, I thought audience. we had about a thousand people here tonight. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is Jim Beam Honey, and uh, I picked this up a while ago, and I had it in my liquor cabinet. So the other night, I took it out just to sample it. You can see I drank half the bottle. But uh, anyways, <laughs> more like more like, like three quarters. Like, <laughs> well, I just save a little bit for you guys. Uh, so anyways, I just put it over ice, and it it. it went down very nicely i mean it was very it's a good little sipper yeah and not that expensive um you know so i think it's a that's a really good one good little sipper jim yeah, beam is not yeah, top shelf to, bourbon anyway yeah true to form yeah jim beam's more the 
a more of the working man's kind of kind of bourbon, not reaching for a, for a top yeah. shelf premium type brand name with Jim Beam, but yeah. but still one of the best selling brands of bourbon in the world. Well, um, then I got to thinking, why don't I just buy a regular Jim Beam and put a couple tablespoons of honey in it? <laughs> that would be infused, right? right? That, would yeah. be this. that would be infused. Basically what they do. So, uh, yeah, I might try that, too. But they have a whole, there's a whole line of f- flavored bourbons like this and, mm-hmm. and whiskeys. I mean, I saw peach and orange and cherry, and it's like, what the, what in the world are they yeah. doing here? Probably more of a... They're infusing. Infusing, yeah. yeah. Probably more yeah. of a more this this kind of feels like it has more of a summertime type feel to me. Um even with the the changing seasons here. I thought the maples still kind of fit with the fall vibes a little bit, but uh this this one is again uh pretty friendly to the novice bourbon drinker. It is. It yeah. is. It it's approachable, it's mellow. Um, if you're, if you're new to bourbon, uh, or just getting into the scene, this one is not going to bite you either. Um, I mean, last week after drinking that Knob Creek maple, I mean, I, I could taste it on my lips and <laughs> mustache it on, I mean, it was just that syrupy taste for you had to wash it off. This is not that way. Um, so. Yeah, you it know, doesn't it, have the same stickiness. No. Yeah. And it does say on their website, too, that this is a good summertime type sipper. Mix it with ginger ale or something like that. But, you know. Oh, that, that'd be a really good mixer. Yeah. 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 Try that, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know if you could could make some kind of a variety of a mint julep out of something like this. Um, but that could, that could be a, a unique twist. Well... I'm always up for something. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a but a, a pretty pretty standard looking bottle of gym. Um, you know, it's it's got the honeycomb label on the front. Uh, does clearly say on the side. Uh, to your point, enjoy chilled. Um, okay. You know this. Uh, so it, you're 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 probably not going to be just blown away by it. But to your point, this this is tasty. It is mellow, and yeah, you don't feel like your teeth or lip and lips are coated with with right. maple syrup um, yeah. like yeah. last time. And I know you cut yours down with water, yeah, which was yeah. a good move. I don't better. sense a need for that with this. No, actually, like I say, when I had it the other night, I just put it over crushed ice, and it was great. I mean, it was, it worked out real well. Yeah. So, so that's it. Next week, I don't know what we're gonna come with. I got, I got, I got another bottle of something. We'll, we'll try that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that'd be real good. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, oh, what did uh, what what happened this week? Um, got a lot of data here, Ben. We, we did lots of data. We did, and I think, um, I think in my mind, the theme of the week was continued evidence of the struggles of the average American. Uh, to make ends meet and the struggle that this supposedly strong consumer is facing. I keep hearing hearing that all the time, how resilient and how strong the consumer is. And when the retail sales numbers came out last week, all the talking heads uh, kept going on and on about how resilient the consumer is because retail sales uh, came in above expectations. And again, when you look under the hood... A lot of this is born out of necessity um, and as a result of inflation. And I think that narrative really came to form when (laughs) we had night and day earnings reports out of Walmart and then the very next day, Target. Target. And I'm not sure if you had a chance to listen to the earnings call, the Walmart earnings call, where the CFO... uh, dropped a couple of very inconvenient truth bombs uh, on everyone. Hot dogs, <laughs> beans, and peanut butter. You know what they all have in common? Are they the big sellers? They're now Americans' protein of choice because that's <laughs> all they can afford. <laughs> that was what the CFO... No more steak and potatoes? No more steak, no more ground no beef. Potatoes, chicken. No potatoes, though. No, those, those... Actually, potatoes are really affordable. We just... But a ten pound bag of potatoes for two dollars. Yeah. 
the they, next, and, and at they the can quick trip. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Isn't that amazing? They we can, can stretch out any so, meal too. Just add potatoes right, to so it. So we're going to be eating a lot of potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving coming up. So certainly, and and I'm in the food industry, so I know the analytics that goes into um, what executives say on a conference call like that out to the world. And for the CFO to specifically cite that as an emerging trend that they are seeing in their stores because that's what all their consumers can yeah. afford uh, is is shocking. And further, there was one other tidbit that that really raised some eyebrows, which was 75% of the growth that Walmart experienced in their grocery segment was driven by households that make more than $100,000 per year. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Isn't that astonishing? So of the incremental customers that Walmart is getting shopping at their stores for groceries, yeah. 75% of them are coming from a household where their income is more than $100,000 a yeah, year. Right. So Walmart so, is the new target, is what you're saying. <laughs> right. I think that's what I we're think, seeing. I think that's what we're seeing. And we've got uh, we've got the numbers here in front of us. But, but, it, but it even at that, look, look at this, Ben. Even at the, with Walmart's you know, uh, report and all that, this is the one that jumped off the page at me. Consolidated operating income was $2.7 billion, a decrease of 53.5% from the same period last year, the first nine months of the year. Yeah, and let me let me read this line item here. So we have consolidated operating income was $2.7 billion decrease of uh, 53.5% to your point. Yeah, so you go back up so there. It went, well, there, there but was it an went, adjustment there. It went though. from 5.8 to 2.7. No, no, but but if we look at that, if we go back up, there was an adjustment there. Adjusted operating income, constant currency. No, if you... Huh? Yeah, if you go back up to the bullet, though. I can't um, pay attention to the bullets. That's, just their, that's their verbiage. So, no, no, because, because it, including the legal charges described above okay so so walmart had a massive settlement for the i believe it was the opioid crisis the opioid crisis correct okay yeah. so that was a one-time payment through because of their pharmacies prescribing but that uh, but that just settled that that shouldn't be in these numbers because this is through the first nine months but they're they're probably recognizing it in the period though because they probably they probably lost the case maybe they yeah. haven't paid it out in cash but it, it my guess would be that there's a recognition of it in this period. So what they're saying is if you take out that one-time thing, that one-time legal expense from us being sued, we would have made $6 billion, which is an increase of 3.9%. So okay. I think that's what they're, I think that's what they're trying to illustrate there. So, but obviously a whopping hit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, mean, and the, Target had to pay it too. Target had they settled yeah, as well, too, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and I think, I think what I think what we interpret from that is you know like this isn't a recurring thing, so therefore we we shouldn't worry about it. Although you never know um, with with lawsuits, um, but stripping that out, look, looks like they here. enjoyed some pretty solid growth. Net sales. Wow. Yeah, that's um, that's quite a jump, and that's kind of the the issue broadly with equities is sometimes it seems like the increase in net sales on a percentage basis is not corresponding um with uh with an increase in operating income uh, as you tick all the way down the line because you're getting that middle of the PL with costs going up yeah um your cost of goods sold going up in this inflationary environment and that's why you're kind of seeing a negative operating leverage environment um, yeah, this this really this really shows it. Yeah, net sales going from four sixteen to four forty three. I mean, but I thought I saw somewhere else where inventories went up. Maybe that's on the then, target numbers. Let's pull the target. Up, the, like but that. in the statement of cash flows, there look looks pretty healthy. Oh um, yeah, this is what I was thinking of. Uh, if you look at the target numbers, inventory went from fourteen nine to seventeen. Oh one. my gosh! And look at so, that. And actually. That's not a good thing for a retailer. I mean, and, and up, yeah, since January. Up since January. I mean, that was. Yeah. I mean, remember the Target, um, which announced just a terrible quarter. I believe it was on on Wednesday. 
uh, because they're losing all of their customers to Walmart because no one can afford to buy anything anymore. Uh, we're looking at the um, the uh, consolidated balance sheet here for Target and the quarter ending October 29th, 2022 inventory sat at $17.1 billion compared to January 29th, 2022 quarter end was $13.9 billion. So they saw their inventory increase $3.2 billion. I mean, that is... In nine months. In nine nine months. And they were supposed to be riding the ship. Right. They were supposed to be shedding inventory. They were supposed to be marking things down. They were supposed to be improving this glut that they had. Um, Clearly, that is not happening. Um, And I think that's maybe why Target got punished so badly. Stock finished down, what, 15% on the day? Yeah. On Wednesday, yeah, it dropped twenty five dollars that one day. Twenty five. Yeah, in one in one day. Yeah. And rightfully and course, so. I, I mean, mean, these are these are horrible. Th- those are those are pretty bad numbers. <laughs> and of course, their forecast is just as bad. Uh, they came out with their forward looking statement, and they're showing a continuing decline. So, if we're seeing that with Target, when's it going to start to show up? Although you've seen a lot of people shift over to Walmart, at some point, Walmart's going to start to experience that as well. What about these other major retailers? Macy's, they had they had pretty good numbers. But, you know, again, um, at some point, we're going to start to see their numbers shrink off as well. Yeah, I would think so. And Walmart, though, they might be in a position now where they're recession-proof. If you if you look at conceptually what's happening out there, we're we're hearing loud and clear from the consumer that they're too broke to be shopping anywhere but say Walmart and Dollar General, and I actually kind of like those names um, as a part of the the trade down investing scheme uh, that we've uh, that we've that we've talked about over the past few months. Where okay, you're probably not going to be dining out at your favorite restaurant anymore you might be going to mcdonald's uh continue to love that name um what if mcdonald's is your favorite restaurant (laughs) (laughs) you're made in the shade (laughs) yeah um or you're you're probably not going to be going to to target anymore or your favorite grocery store like kroger you're gonna be you're gonna be going to walmart because things have just just reached a breaking point whole foods yeah i mean Mm-hmm. Who can afford that anymore? Yeah. I mean, it's um, they're they're luxury items, and and a a retailer like Walmart stands to benefit. I mean, even when affluent customers making a hundred thousand plus per year households flocking to Walmart to buy their groceries, if that doesn't tell you all all you need to know about the the state of retail, I don't know what does. Um, but. It, it's also interesting because it, there's kind of a consistent narrative with the, the rest of the flow of data that we got for the balance of the week, um, which was confirmed uh, by uh, the household debt figures. I don't know if you saw that. Household debt soared. What's the newest? Household debt soars at fastest pace in 15 years as credit card use surges, report from Federal Reserve says. Uh, Mm. That's a CNBC headline. Credit card balance collectively rose more than 15% from the same period in 2021, the largest annual jump in more than 20 years. So what what drove it? Uh, Because now collectively um, private household debt um, stands at a total balance of, I believe it was $16.5 trillion private debt that households private have incurred. Okay. You know, and that there's a lot of things in there. There's auto loans, mortgages, credit cards, student loan, all that, all that stuff. Um, but credit cards rose. I believe that's now 
very close to a trillion dollars, $930 billion of aggregate okay. credit card debt, which well, now that your APR even, is 20%. <laughs> yeah, I think that's even up from to, a month ago. It is up from a month ago. So if you're carrying a balance, um, please look at your APR. Um, so and, a lot of those Walmart <laughs> numbers are credit card purchases. The credit right <laughs> buying right. on credit yeah sure but people people are too broke to shop anywhere else but walmart and they're using their credit cards to finance those purchases with debt credit card balances rose 15 percent um the new york fed notes that credit card growth was attributed to very robust consumption yeah. and rising prices yeah. um interesting because probably a lot of it is on non-discretionary things like food and gasoline right. um and diesel, uh, if if you're unfortunate enough to have being forced to buy diesel these days due due to your truck or or car requiring diesel, auto loan debt up five point six percent, mortgage um, mortgage debt um, actually uh, actually fell a little bit, um, dropping seventeen percent to six hundred thirty three billion. A little bit of a surprise there. Um, not sure, maybe. Maybe we're starting to see some foreclosures. Um, not not totally sure there. And then uh, student loans, um, which we may actually see those start to go down due to some of the oh. <laughs> some of the programs from the administration. Well, that's going to be put on hold. I mean, yeah, it's already put on hold blocked, because of the lawsuits. Yeah, yeah. and then, yeah. of course, now with the Republican House, I think you're going to see them challenge that as well. So that that whole program is going to probably either be put on hold or <laughs> delayed an extended amount of time. Uh, so you had all these students or people that are already working that had student debt that were looking for the forgiveness. Hey. Now you got to make your payments, don't you, Alex? Yeah, gotta yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to make those gotta payments. Make those yeah. payments now. <laughs> make those so payments. you know, you know, that's uh, that's going to have an impact. The other thing is, I think people are starting to look at their four hundred one ks a little bit, you know, and uh, realizing that it's now a three hundred one k. Because, you know, that old joke—they lost twenty-five percent of their 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 wealth. That's uh, you know they're going to start to cut back, and we're, again, we should start to see that in the retail numbers. That's the first thing you're going to see it in. You know, and it threw the markets for a loop because when the retail sales numbers came out, they were up higher than expectations. Yeah. So. Why? What gives there? Well, I'll tell you what gives there. The the retail sales numbers are not real. They're not inflation adjusted figures. They're nominal figures. Mm -hmm. So think about it simplistically. If I buy a box of Cheerios in October for a dollar, and then I buy that same one box of Cheerios in November for a dollar and ten cents. Well, what do you know? Retail sales jumped 10%. Okay, so the fact that we don't, we're not dealing with real figures, non-inflation adjusted figures, in, a, in an inflationary environment, we should continue to expect to see somewhat strong retail sales growth, especially as consumers are financing it with credit card debt. I mean, the, the balances are growing. We are seeing a consistent narrative. Wages are not keeping up with inflation. People are resorting to putting non-discretionary expenses on credit cards. We're seeing it in these balance figures that are going up. They're going to, <laughs> they're going to Walmart and the other non-preferred stores to make ends meet and get by, and they're putting it on the tab. And that yeah. tab is going to come due when your credit card APR is hovering around 20% as it is for most Americans. Oh, it certainly is. I think, Ben, I think you're convincing me that we are headed to a recession. <laughs> 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 and and this, I just popped this one up here. Um, look at this number. This yeah. is the GDP, right? 2021 is 5.7. So if you look at the long-term trend, there's no trend line on here, but if I took a ruler and drew it across, it's somewhere probably around four. There's a long-term trend for GDP. And this chart goes back to the 70s. Yeah. Am I see that? Okay. Yep. The forecast is 1.2 to 1.6, down from 2.3. So we are trending down. We may even be 
negative very soon. And I'm thinking maybe by the first quarter of next year. So, I mean, again, you have two of those and you're in recession. Of course, you never know you're in a recession until after the fact, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they look back and they go, oh, we were negative the last two quarters. We were in a recession. That, we're still that, in it. that was what right. I was going to ask is if we're not in a recession now, when will we be officially? <laughs> well, it might be a naive <laughs> question. Again, but if no, you, it's if not you, naive If you at look all. at from, we go from 5.7 to 2.3 roughly. And now the forecast is 1.2. And this is the GDP growth rate we're yes. looking at right, right now. That's not a very encouraging trend, you know. And um, if the interest rates continue to rise, which they will, the Fed's going to continue to raise those, you're going to see that come down even more. So by I'm, I'm thinking by first quarter we could be near zero or even negative. Mm. So then you're at the start of recession. But if the Fed sticks true to its plan, they go up 75 basis points in December, which is like first week in December, right? The, the markets are now pricing in a 50, 50 bip hike yeah, that might in be, December. That might be smart. They're, they're hike, they're, the Fed futures swaps are pricing in 50 basis points in December, 25 in January, and then that's it. And but, then the hiking cycle is going to be done but my fear is if they if they stick to that and we are actually in or approaching recession and then they come through with another rate increase you're rate you're raising rates in a recession that hasn't been reflected yet so i i we you talked about this last week i don't see the possibility of a soft landing do you i mean no i i, I don't i and i i think that is their unofficial policy and they're they're not admitting it because they can't, because they would get tarred and feathered um, if they if right. they did. But there there's no way for us to tame the levels of consumption that we are seeing that's out there right now. With all that COVID money still out there in the system, there is no adequate mechanism to bring inflation down uh, without without a recession um, that should lead, unfortunately, to a lot of people being thrown out of work and a lot of people instead deciding to pay down the debt that they've accumulated yes. rather than buying more stuff. Right. And we're, we're going to be in a very uncomfortable position because we're still, again, enjoying the benefit of a really strong U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar is still, even after... Um, the the events of the past couple weeks, it's still around 106, the dollar index, which is a multi-decade high. And as we talked about last time, as the dollar starts to come back down to earth, dollar-denominated commodities are going to go up. And those are inputs for products and services. Right. That that's an inflationary force that is still on the table. Like the the dollar, the, the direction of the dollar, a yeah. lot is really hinging on the direction of the dollar. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't see how we can have a situation where the dollar weakens, and inflation simultaneously comes down. Comes down. And we know that a strong dollar yeah. is is far from a, amazing for for stocks. It's great for importers we talked about toasters a couple times Great. ago um <laughs> it's really good importing <laughs> importing chinese crap i mean yep. that's we need more toasters i mean that's that's great to have a strong dollar in that environment yeah. but we still need a strong dollar yeah like we're we are not out of the woods on inflation yet and i think the the federal reserve has to have um still higher interest rates and a stronger dollar to make sure inflation adequately comes down and they're yeah. then seeing these numbers like retail sales data and they're coming to the conclusion that the U.S. consumer is still strong, still out there spending. So, wow, gee, you know, we can we can keep raising interest rates with impunity because people keep buying and keep spending. The economy is doing great. Yeah, let's let's you know. switch to that for a second. The uh, the Federal Reserve and Bullard's comments this week. Okay, I, and I've got a thesis on this. I'm, let me bounce this one off you. So Bullard comes out and says, "Oh, we got to we're going to be raising interest rates. Going to have to raise interest rates between five and seven percent." 
quite a range. And what happened to the market then? It dropped, right, after his comments. But then they came out and they backed off and they go, oh, he was doing an academic exercise and he was applying the Taylor formula, the Taylor rule formula. Familiar Sounds like politics to me. Yeah. Well, this, this is a this little is, bad. Yeah. This is statistics. Remember what they say about statistics. There's. <laughs> Refresh what, our memory. Wait, what do they say about there's, the fact they have there's, there's liars, there's damn liars, and there's statisticians. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you can, <laughs> you can make statistics do anything you want. But anyways, he was applying the Taylor rule. Now, the Taylor Rule goes back to 1993. It was a Stanford professor that came up with this. And it was a very sophisticated formula. Ben Bernanke changed it to what you see up here. Oh. So he simplified it. Nobel laureate Ben Bernanke. But it's really based on the rate of inflation. Punchbowl Ben. Which which they use the PCE for that. And then, as I showed before with the GDP... The deviation from long-term GDP trend, okay? Mm -hmm. So those are basically the two inputs. Well, if you plug all the current numbers into that formula that you see right there, you come up with his number seven, right? Mm -hmm. But to my point, depending what you assume as the GDP going forward that number would have to come down dramatically. So you're not going to see a 7% rate, federal rate. You're going to see something much lower than that. Assuming a a collapse in GDP is what you're saying. So as that reverts lower than what we should see is a lower nominal Fed funds rate. Yep. Yep. Okay, but everybody seems to agree you shouldn't be basing Fed policy on the Taylor rule. Even John Taylor, the guy that came up with it, says, don't use this. (laughs) This is one little indicator that you could possibly... Janet Yellen says, don't use this. So why does Bullard come out and make that statement? He makes that statement because he wanted to see a market reaction. And my theory is the Fed wants the market to do their work for them. So essentially, they want to see the market come down that reduces liquidity, right? They have they have very limited ways of getting liquid out of the economy. That's one way of doing it, right? A- absolutely. We we talked uh, um, in the the inaugural podcast about how Fed speak has become a monetary policy tool. All the yeah. the governors and the presidents they just have to go out and and maybe jawbone about some of these um, future. Uh, policy decisions and then the market will immediately react and try to price that in right to front run the policy decision to capitalize on any arbitrage and information you know the the, the trained apes on the the, the floor <laughs> of the new york stock exchange they'll price that Smack in immediately right <laughs> that's what they'll do and you end up with a situation yeah. where you just get this perpetual cycle of fed speak yeah. so then anytime any Fed official says something that could be perceived one way versus the other way, right. you get these wild reactions like we saw coming out of, out of CPI. Right. Yep. Remember, this, the CPI came in at 7.7%, and then what happened that day? Yields on the 10-year fell 40 basis points from 4.2% mm-hmm. down to 3.8%. Yeah. You know, and if if you're a Fed official and you need restrictive monetary policy with higher interest rates, you cringe when you see something like that mm-hmm. because you want to maintain mm-hmm. higher interest mm-hmm. rates. So yeah, maybe Bullard was throwing out these these ranges to to be be a little spooky. I think so. It's spook it's the market. Trial balloon. See what happens. You know, if if they can do it that easily and and pull money out of the market, why not? You know, they don't have to they don't have to monkey with it with interest rates. Let the market do it. And as I said before, people are looking at their four hundred one Ks. If the market drops, hmm, I don't have a four hundred one K anymore. It's a three oh one. Or maybe <laughs> back in the day it was a two oh one. Um But don't those things come back over the long term? Like if they just sit on it. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah hopefully. <laughs> but they I mean, do. over the long term. 401ks are, are, are built with equities and mutual funds, and a portion of bonds are typically in those 401ks. So if if somebody's heavy on 
you know, a 401k to the equity and mutual fund side, they're going to be directly impacted by a drop in the market. And then, and then the hope is people at home see their declining retirement accounts and they suddenly feel less rich than they did last year. Exactly. And when you feel less rich, then you're less inclined to spend. And if you are less inclined to spend, that helps reduce inflation yeah. because you're not mm -hmm. buying stuff. Yeah, um, exactly. It's, yeah. it's, it's psychology affecting markets rather than like hard fiscal or monetary policy tools. Well, remember, economics and, is a behavioral science. It is. Right? It, it is. <laughs> right. And part so, of it is part of it is philosophy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. A psychology as well, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Right. But you look at you look at like something that that a bullard threw out there of five to seven percent. I mean, the the lower end of the range is still plausible and necessary, in my opinion. Like five percent is probably is what the markets are still roughly pricing in. I think it was about four point eight percent the last time we talked on the Fed funds futures rate. And we talked about the PCE still being around five point one percent, and and I said, you know, in my mind you have to get to a positive real restrictive interest rate above PCE. That's the Fed's yeah, gauge. The yeah. Fed's gauge is PCE. Yeah. So all the people who are who are shopping at Walmart instead of Target now, they are by virtue of their choice and the substitution effect enjoying some deflation. That shows up in something like the PCE. Mm -hmm. That shows up in that that index yeah, because yeah. it's based on on personal choice and discretion. Yeah, but still, do we, do we have new numbers on that yet? That no. that's coming. I think that's that's coming next week or the following. Okay, week. Right. yeah. CPI comes first, and then PCE is just kind of a regurgitation um, of those figures. Um, so they they're usually pretty accurate on PCE estimates. PCE estimates usually within a tenth of a percent because yeah. the information's yeah. already out there. Yeah. Um, but by, by virtue of, of consumers trading down, we should start to see a lower PCE, but it's still probably going to be around something, something around 5%. And to me, until you get to say like a 5.5% fed funds rate, you're not restrictive. You're still accommodative. Even if, even if you get interest rates to 4.75% on the fed funds rate and PCE is, is 4.8, 4.9%. That's still loose. That's still accommodative. And the reason being is because the savvy consumer knows mm. that they can still borrow and yeah. pay back the creditor with depreciated dollars mm -hmm. in that environment. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when yeah. when 30-year <laughs> mortgages, you know, were 2.75%, 3%, yeah, you're going to lock in that deal as quickly as you can because you know over the lifetime of that mortgage you're going to be paying back with depreciated cash. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite effect now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when mortgages were 7.4%, I think they're now 6.8% for the 30 years. They just they just came down dramatically. This, C this CPI week. day. Yeah. Yeah. It was CPI day. They yeah. they, they crashed yeah. just like everything else. But you wouldn't lock that in because you know you're going to end up paying your creditor way more. <laughs> In real dollars, in real, yes, <laughs> in right. real terms, yeah, yeah. by locking that in. Yeah, there's the nominal interest rate, and <laughs> there's the real interest rate, right? Exactly, yeah, and you and pay it, the and you pay the nominal. And until know. we get to a real positive interest yeah. rate between the Fed funds rate and the PCE, yeah, um, we we still have our work cut out for us on inflation. Well, the the other thing uh, off of his uh, his comments the other day is, and the reason they say don't. Don't just use this. You need to look at everything. This doesn't address unemployment rates at all. And, no. and I'm still convinced that they don't give a hoot about that. They really don't. They're hell-bent on reducing the rate of inflation and whatever the unemployment rate is, let it be. However, they have to seriously take a look at that because right. I think the official numbers are 3.7 unemployment. That sounds right. And markets rallied when it ticked up, yeah, if you yeah. remember. But what's kind of funny to me about that is, so there's 99 million people that they consider non-participants in the economy, right? And then there's another roughly 2 million they call marginally attached. 
<laughs> How's that for a euphemism? Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Largely, yeah, they kind of want a so job, ambiguous. but they're too lazy to they're go look really, for one. Something really like that. I don't yeah. know what that is. <laughs> but so call it 101 million people that are on the sidelines. That, not in not in the labor force participation pool. Right. The labor force right now. There's 164 million roughly potential people that could be in the pool and there's only 158 million of them actually working so you got six million unemployed that's the three point sub yeah right but you got this other bucket of people 101 million that are who are they and where are they sitting you know what are they doing so i went back and i've looked at the past statistics so if you go back to 2010 the 2010 census in the country was 309 million people right and there was 85 million people, non-participants. Our census now is 331. So we've added, what, 22 million people to the country, which is immigration and birth, basically, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I, I don't know how else you they add They don't spring people. out of holes in you the don't, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I don't know how else you add people unless they're Martians coming down. But what, you know, so you got, you got 22 million new people in the country. And we've, we've gone from 85 million non-participants to 102. So that's 17 million non-participants. And we've raised the population by 22. Yeah. Something doesn't add up to me. And I'm, I always say that that 102 number, there's a lot of unemployment in those numbers. There's a lot of people that need to be counted in that unemployment number. And I think it's going to come to the surface. They're going to start looking for jobs because of all the things we've just talked about. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see that number spike up. And it's going to filter through the rest of the economy. You're going to see, we're already seeing the retail numbers from Target. We're going to see it from others. And there's going to be other businesses affected by that as well, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, the, the unemployment, <laughs> the unemployment figures, I mean, we, we should do a, a whole podcast just on, just on labor statistics because it really is yeah. mind-boggling how the government says or calculates whether you're employed, partially employed, underemployed, right. or just not looking <laughs> or not at all. Looking. I mean, it, yeah. the the way the methodology that they use is is preposterous on its face. Yeah. Um, but you know that can that could be a topic for another day. Yeah. But yeah. It, you do, you do bring up a, a really interesting point is um, what how are how are these people like surviving um in this environment i mean well they they've, they've I mean, been surviving because of all the giveaways and and again that's starting to dry up the moratoriums on rent there the, um, the moratoriums on rent medical um, the medical is already drying up you're starting to see you know uh, defaults on that and they're starting collections again on that uh, the student loan thing too is going to hit. Like I said, now people have to start to pay those student. Well, if you got to pay that student loan, you got to cut back on something else. Of you course. know, if you only have yeah. X amount of dollars, or you don't have any dollars coming in, you're living off of savings. You know, something's got to give. Yeah. And I think we'll start to see a lot of this change. When I I wrote it, I wrote a note to my subscribers about about the the student loan program this the proposed student loan forgiveness program and i think we all collectively understand that this is going to do absolutely nothing to drive down the cost of education um or improve the cost of education you know quite contrary for a lot of reasons i think we all get um but when you think about the effect on inflation okay if you suddenly don't have to make a $400, $500, $600, whatever it is, student loan payment every month because it's been expunged, because it's been absorbed by Janet Yellen in the U.S. Treasury that we all now have to pick up the tab for. Well, (laughs) hot damn. Uh, what are you gonna I'm going to do? I'm going back to school. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to go out and buy or that new underwater big... basket. <laughs> I'm going to go out and buy that new big screen TV. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go buy buy a new suit. I'm right. gonna buy new shoes. Right. I may go lease a second car. Yeah. Well, not yeah. anymore. He can't can't afford a car for that kind of money anymore. But the point is, then that's going to spur incremental consumption. Yes. Yeah. Like like all of these things that w- that we're doing, it's only producing the most insidious whack a mole game of inflation. That you could have designed yeah. in a laboratory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you th- you think about it. It's like, no, don't do any of that. Don't do any of that. Not only should we all be having to pay back our student loans, we all should be paying more in taxes, and we all should be subject to higher interest rates to boot. Like <laughs> that is that is the collective obligation of everyone in society right now, in order to solve this problem. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's one of the dangers of. A loose monetary policy like that is you remember from your economic training it's like pushing on a string you know to pump money into the economy yeah you can move the needle a bit if you get enough string pushing through the hole yeah it's, it's going to move forward a bit but you know you'd rather be pulling from the other side right, right? um so <laughs> it's, it's true pushing on yeah. a string yeah it's it's absolutely true yeah yeah well, you had some other stuff you wanted to cover here. Well, you know, um, I'm. Uh, I, I think it's. I think it's interesting because I drove back up to Minneapolis on um, on Wednesday night, and we came back Friday night, and I observed something that I have been reading about for the past many weeks, which is the spread between diesel and gasoline. Ooh, yeah. And this was it was it was amazing to see, and I, I, I had been aware, um, and knew that there were continued structural challenges in diesel. We've lost some refineries in the U.S. Um, that I think shuttered in 2019. Um, of course, uh, goes back to the the sanctions on Russia uh, for the Ukrainian war, but the spread between diesel and gasoline. I observed on more than one occasion was around two dollars per gallon, and as, wow. as we as we yeah, well as, gas has come down. It gas has come down, but diesel has stayed stayed stubbornly high and actually ticked up just a touch uh, the past week and month. Um, it's down from I believe the 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 year to date high, which was I think in June or July when it touched six bucks, but diesel um i observed several stations retailing diesel for about 545 a gallon okay and i saw i saw unleaded for about 340 so on on more at more than one site in more than one town on the drive from from madison to minneapolis did i observe this and you know, as as we as we think about the continued pressures um, of inflation, um, I know that the diesel diesel and um, retail gasoline unleaded are refined using different different technologies, mm-hmm. um, different locations, yeah. different yeah. different businesses, right? Uh, right? And <clears throat> and again, we have lost capacity over the past three years in diesel, but diesel is how everything moves. <laughs> I mean, whether yeah. whether it's on a truck or on a train, yeah. you're using diesel. Right. Um, and or barge, the barges. Or barge. on diesel. Yeah, yeah barge. Sure, you know, barge is yeah, still sure, barge. The, yeah, the number one transportation mode. Mississippi River. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. In, in terms of tonnage, I mean, that it's still the, the number one. Yeah. So, well, I didn't even think about five that. five five fifty a gallon for diesel. Um, so we we've we as consumers have actually enjoyed a bit of a break. I, I looked at the Sitco on my drive here uh, to our recording studio, uh, and a couple podcasts ago we were around three. I want to say three ninety nine a gallon. It looks like it was around three sixty nine. I think if I remember correctly. So we got a nice little little break here in gasoline prices, which is good. No movement, and if anything, the opposite direction on diesel. Now, now what's tied di- tied to diesel? Like everything. Everything, everything that moves on a truck, a train, like we said, but also farming. Yeah. yeah. Harvesting corn. Yeah. Soybeans, wheat. Right. 
Um, and this was a big year for agriculture. I mean, it was. It had, had a pretty good, pretty good season. I was. It, it, diesel supply in the U.S. is down to 25 days of supply. Um, now, that doesn't mean, contrary to popular headlines, that we're going to run out of diesel in 25 days. What it means is if all diesel production shut down mm-hmm. based on current demand, we would last 25 days with what mm-hmm. we have on hand. That's, mm-hmm. that's a low inventory level. And there's some seasonality uh, that's driving that as well. Diesel plants go down um, for for maintenance, for, for upgrades this time of year. Um, but it's incredibly worrying, and it again goes back to the Ukraine war, um, the sanctions, um, and, and the underlying trends with oil uh, that have put us in this position. Um, and, and to me, we're not making clear or obvious progress on the one thing that's the lifeblood for transportation and trade um, in all global economies, for that matter, is diesel is trending the wrong way. Yeah. Natural gas is trending the wrong way. Oil's come down just a bit mm-hmm. recently. Well, but... Um, but we could uh, be setting OPEC, up for OPEC a OPEC hasn't <laughs> se- stepped in yet. I mean... Yeah. Yeah, those numbers came down this week, but uh, I think OPEC, OPEC is going to respond to that. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um, you know, they're they're not going to sit idly by. No. No. Um, you know, while while we keep hearing, oh no, you know, China COVID zero COVID policy, we're going to shut down Shanghai and Beijing <laughs> right. again. Well, OPEC isn't going to see those headlines day after day after day and continue to think, oh, gee, well, we better be we better be producing more oil. Yeah. No, they're not going to do no, that. They're going to no, say, no, well, no, well, no. Xi Jinping is dogmatically um, in favor of this policy. Why are we going to produce more um, at the behest of Joe Biden? Uh, so Americans can enjoy exactly. a de facto oil yeah. subsidy. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Not so happen. oil no. kind of feels like it could be setting up for a rip here. Yeah, real soon. I like in the in the next handful of weeks, I we could be seeing a big rip higher. Yeah, yep. Be putting in some calls on uh, Exxon Mobil. Oh, are you? Well, I think so. Are you thinking about that I as a trade? So. Yeah. Well, I have I have Shell, and I've had Shell for a while, um, but those are the two that I like. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I think you're right. I think oil and, and natural gas continue to go. Have you looked at Valero lately? I mean, their numbers are crazy. I I haven't looked at Valero. No, wow. but I I got out of that a while ago, and I'm kind of wish I had. Kind of regretting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, it was gas refinery. The two, I mean, and I I go back to my usual refrain of of Exxon Mobil and and Chevron because I like them so much. But um, you know, Devon. Is looking pretty dang cheap these days. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I also, um, I also think Pioneer. There's still value there. Yeah. Pioneer Energy. Um, you know, and and I think we we've enjoyed this crazy subsidy as Americans mm-hmm. um, with the the SPR releases over the past six months. I mean, the, it's like. <laughs> We, we we know there's a floor on the oil market at $70 a barrel. And Jennifer Granholm assured us of that on CNBC when she said, we will be buying oil at 70 to replace the barrels of SPR yeah, that we yeah. you know depleted. Yeah. So we know, certainly, yeah. the downside here is maybe 10 bucks on yeah. oil, maybe. But the upside really feels like it's tilted the other way fast. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know. We really could be setting up for a year end rip on oil. Um, I also, I, I I like your, I like your trade. I like, I like calls on, on maybe like an XLE or, or something like that. But I, I hedged my position against the dollar, um, too, as a move I made last week. So we, uh, rolled out of the Apple 155 mm-hmm. covered calls, which yeah, I was yeah. I was sweating buckets that one day yeah. when it touched 153, <laughs> <Yeah>. 80 something. <laughs> I was like, "This is it! Oh my gosh!" Um, so it ended up working out. I think Apple closed around 151 to conclude the week when the calls expired. Actually, but, if you yeah. just want to pick up some quick cash, maybe you sell some puts on Exxon. Sell puts. Deep out of the money puts. Yeah, I, I don't I don't have the. I don't have the capital in my account though to to, <laughs> to cover that. I mean, I can't sell naked puts. Um, you can sell naked puts. I can sell. Naked you can sell puts. naked puts. Might yeah, be doing that. Daddy Warbucks yeah. over there. <laughs> the, the naked puts. I can't.
can't sell naked puts. I don't have that kind of money. Um, but, um, but I actually hedged my position on the dollar um, with some gold. Actually. Did you? I did. Wow. I, I we talked a couple. Well, we yeah. talked a couple podcasts yeah. ago. How I said I want to believe gold is going to go higher. Um, I didn't. I don't really believe it will go that much higher because again, I still think the U.S. dollar does have to go higher to tame inflation. I still think that's the trajectory which should put a lid on gold. Mm-hmm. But I I bought I bought Barrick. I bought some calls on Barrick as a hedge. Um, in case I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so I built in a natural hedge against the dollar on gold. Um, but, but you look at, you look at Barrick's pricing action. They were at, they were at 650 on or 1650 per share on Monday. They dropped down to 1550 on Friday. I picked up some $16, um, or I picked up some, some calls with a $16 strike for, I believe it was December 16th for 50 cents. Okay. Yeah. So, all I really need is for it to go back to where it was five days ago over the course of the next three to four weeks. Mm-hmm. Kind of feels like a good hedge to me, mm-hmm. um, especially since I've got calls on on the dollar and I've got I still have puts on on the yen and the euro. Um, so I I feel kind of feel kind of good about that play right now. Yep. Well, the but puts, yeah. puts on the yen and euro, pretty good one. That's... They, they kind of went the wrong way on me after the CPI <laughs> blow up. But yeah, what what else do you like in the energy space there? Well, I'm still researching it. I don't go too heavy. I'm, I'm looking at an, uh, one of the uh, ETFs. XLE is always a good one. I mean, if you if you don't want to look at all of them and you're not sure which one to to jump into, XLE just just go ahead and do it, and you get all the big ones, um, and then just traded in a channel like you see there look at that That, that's the current dow where we're looking at some bollinger bands on the dow jones industrial average we're looking at a candlestick chart yep i don't know what kind of what kind of formation do you think we got there well i think you got a lot of indecision if you look at the very top right there you see the indecisions and the uh three in a row well it's interesting closings because the uh the um the let's see one two three four five six candlesticks to the left uh, of the close from Friday. Yeah. That looks like a hanging man. Um, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be quite the Fed meeting in December. I don't know if you were looking at the calendar, but the um, the Fed policy meeting in December is the day after the next CPI release. Isn't that about when they usually are? Or no. No? No. Oh. Usually usually hmm. the Fed has to release policy before, before. the CPI. Yeah. Ooh. And so, so now the Fed has, you know, one day to yeah. consider the CPI before they collectively vote and determine what the next rate hike is going to be. And in a weird way... It does feel like we're tilted to risk because everyone is on the fifty basis point train. Yeah, yeah. everyone. Yeah, everyone. Yeah. I think I think they're pretty committed to that to yeah. December. I think yeah. that's I think that's fair, um, but but that also tells me there's no opportunity. That's all baked into the market yeah. right now, yep. 50 basis points. So if the Fed yep. delivers basis points, they have met expectations. They're not going to do 25. They've indicated that yeah. that is not on the table. So the only other option is 75. Mm-hmm. If they do that, that would be a real shock. Um, and we would see equities really fall precipitously if that were to happen. But I think 50 seems most likely yeah. um, unless we get a crazy hot CPI number right, in right. December, which I don't which think I, we will. I, I think we're plateaued. We I think we're yeah. I think we should see some softening there. So again, to my point, I mean, what's there's really nothing that you can see on the horizon that's going to make this thing jump. Um, if you know, we're not in earnings season. We're not in earnings season. That's the only thing that can change this in a hurry, and we're not going to see that until. What sometime? Probably January. January, right? Oh, we'll see year end. October number. was last. Yeah, yeah. You'll see some we'll year see, end numbers. Yeah, 
Yeah. So I guess, yeah, it's a wait and see. Or, um, um, or another, another, another unexpected accident. Um, you know, crypto was a dark cloud over the markets uh, for the past week. And I, I would say we actually would have gone a lot higher had it not been for the crypto hangover. Um, but we never know what's going to happen somewhere else. You know, awfully quiet out of the UK these days. Mm-hmm. It seems like maybe they've solved their pension fund crisis, but we don't know. Yeah. How do they do that? How do they How do, do they that? Do that? <laughs> that doesn't seem I like don't know. you just... <laughs> Buy bonds for five days, yeah, and suddenly no more pension fund of, crisis. I don't think sh- so. The, that little shell game they play there with <laughs> it's a shell monetary game. policy. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah. and we we don't we don't we don't really really know what other monsters are lurking out there. Um, but when it when interest rates go up, you know that's when it all comes mm-hmm. to light. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, the the environment is primed. Uh, for something like that. Maybe we got a little bit of reprieve because interest rates trickled back down again yeah. following the, the post-CPI rally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, then, uh, I think, yeah. uh, again, we kind of wait and see what happens here. But it's kind of fun to watch a chart like this, though, because you can see every time it hits, hits the one side of that band, the market retracts. Yeah. Or goes the other way. It's interesting. Yeah, it really yeah. is. It's, yeah. It's, it's pretty accurate yeah so the markets um the markets themselves you know it's 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 still pretty tenuous you know we got the leading economic indicators uh last week as well which show that index went down 0.8 percent uh month on month and that's an aggregation of a lot of things interest rate spreads um housing data Mm. uh, retail sales data um consumer sentiment uh, Mm. all those things Mm -hmm. it's eight eighth straight month that the leading economic indicators have gone down and that's been a pretty reliable gauge of recession yep that sure is and it also includes like the ism so there's manufacturing and supply chain data (laughs) baked in there as well the the ism you know that's a survey right is did i ever tell you i was a participant you were one of them yeah no kidding my previous jobs where when i worked for one of the uh the sin sin stock companies (laughs) you know which one we know Uh, yeah we know which one that is yeah i was on the survey and every month i'd have to answer the survey it was it was kind of a fun exercise did did it kind of ring true did the results ring true yeah it uh I think it is. It, it is a leading indicator, I think, a bit, you know. But, I, again, you have to wonder the accuracy of it because, again, yeah. it's a survey. It's not. They're not pulling hard data. Yeah. It's a questionnaire that you fill out as a supply chain manager or whoever you are, and you send it in. And they, they compile all that. Yeah. 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 And that's... Again, it's a statistic. So that's that's a, <laughs> you remember what he said about statistics. <laughs> so that's that's an aggregation embedded within an aggregation, which is the leading yes. economic indicators, because they're you know they're looking like I said at, at credit spreads, yeah. um, or not credit spreads. They're looking at interest rate spreads. Yeah. Uh, they're also looking at like I said, consumer sentiment, which is survey based. Uh, they're looking at housing data, which is real hard data. They're looking at retail sales, hard real data. They're looking at GDP estimates, but. Eight straight months down. Yeah, that's shocking. See, that's why you got me believing that we're like, headed towards some type of a like that kind of fall off in the economy here. And by the way, two twos and tens. Did you see seventy basis points inverted this past week? Yeah, that that's pretty high. Seventy bips. Yeah, that that is pretty. That's getting up there. That's out of but, control. Yeah, that is. That's recession. I mean, you're you're pointed right at a recession. That you would get paid more to yeah, hold a two year bill. Than a ten-year bond. Yeah, yeah. We can only hope that it's <laughs> it's short. <laughs> it's a V shape, and we bounce right out of it. But but uh, yeah. you know, well, you know, so we'll we'll keep our fingers crossed. But yeah. there are there are opportunities out there. You know, Walmart, kind of cool. Dollar yeah. General, McDonald's. Yeah. Go work at Walmart. Is what Walmart. You're yeah, <laughs> I think Walmart. That's um, a good, not Target. That's a good long-term plan. Continue, yeah. continue, continue to love energy. And the trade down story. Mm-hmm. That's why we talk about like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. another one. Treehouse Foods, private label type companies yeah. that are yeah, 
Up, stock I know, up. I know they are. I mean, they always go up. You look at you look at these. Whenever the, the economy drops, yeah. they go Kirkland. up. Kirkland, yeah. General Mills, Costco. Oh, people have to shift. They have to yeah. shift to the Costco. generics and the. the yeah. yeah, you look at you the store look brands. At, you look yeah. at those value. You look at those value Aldi. plays. It's been a there's been a cyclical rotation into those those plays all year, and I think we're going to continue. Maybe we're maybe we're halfway through that. Maybe a little bit more. But I think those names are kind of gonna still do well um, in in 2023 and beyond once everyone finally acknowledges we're in a recession. Um, but I, I'm happy well, to I'm make it. I'm happy to <laughs> almost make a believer out of you next time. <laughs> next time I want on next podcast I want you to try and make but, make me the optimist. So I can, I can, I can, I, I can. Okay, I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm going to go on record to say that if we do go into recession, I think it's going to be a quick recovery. Mm -hmm. I do. Timeline, timeline Time that for yeah. us. How long? Uh, within six months. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So within quick, quick bounce back then. Quick bounce back. You heard it here first. It. I'll make another prediction. The Fed rate is going to settle in somewhere between four. And 100. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Let's see if I'm right I like that. that. That's good. Yep. You heard it here first, everybody. Yep. Four and 100. Yeah. Yep. Good. All righty. Uh, I'll drink some bourbon. Got to have right. some. Cheers. All right. All right. See you. It's a good All one. Right.